Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. And so, we have reached the end of yet another month, ladies and gentlemen, I have to say. We're firing into a bank holiday weekend as the sun comes out and the weather is actually rather enjoyable looking. Meanwhile, in the heart of democracy that is Downing Street, there seems to be a little uh, consternation and even less concern about Dominic Cummings, yesterday's man, who tried and failed uh, to throw uh, the bit of the government that he doesn't like under a bus. Sadly for him, the bus appears to have stalled and his contribution to the general good appears to have helped rather than hindered Boris Johnson. Aside from a very few die-hard socialists and critics of the Tories, nobody, literally nobody, uh, is at all worried about the way this pandemic has been conducted. And I don't think that's a good thing. In many ways, I think Dominic Cummings is kind of completely screwed up by having a go at Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson and all the rest of them and kind of missing them. Somehow, they're now even more uh, entrenched than they were before. Coming up this morning, we're joined by Reform UK Party Chairman Richard Tice in the studio with his take on the week in politics. 0344 499 1000. Later on, we're checking in with Dr Lawrence Gurlis on the dreadful news that a young radio presenter from the BBC died after suffering blood clots as a result of taking the AstraZeneca vaccine. He'll clarify just how big a problem this is as one England rugby player says he's not going to take it. 0344 499 1000. Also, Angela Levin is here with the latest from California and the Duke and Duchess of Netflix. That's right, Harry's at it again this weekend, banging on to Oprah Winfrey about climate change and mental health. Is there ever going to be an end to this madness? Harry! Harry! 0344-499-1000. Also, Dr. Rakiba San is here with a report on why the police are still turning a blind eye to criminal grooming gangs in the north of England, where thousands of young girls, as young as 11, are still going missing, and nobody's doing anything about it. What is wrong with these people? Kevin O'Sullivan is also here, uh, ahead of some big shows at the weekend. And it's Friday, of course, so it's time for the Perrier Awards in the company of Yorkshire's finest, Izzy Aroland. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk.
Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say a man who's becoming a regular fixture here at Talk Radio, which, which makes me very happy, Mr. Richard Tice is here. Richard, very good morning. Good to you. morning. It's great to be here again isn't in the it? studio, Mike. And what a morning. I mean, isn't the sun beautiful? is shining. Yeah. And can you believe there's a bank holiday weekend and it may be decent weather? It may weather. not actually be raining and um, there won't be those scenes where people in, only in Britain, are sort of wind, you know, wind cheaters up and, and umbrellas sitting. Maybe maybe the good Lord, hardly. maybe the good Lord actually is concerned for our mental well-being and right. is, and is well, you know, giving nice. us some good news. That and, would be nice. We need it, don't we? Because we have had an extraordinary week. We have had a terrible spring. I mean, this is probably the wettest and most yep. awful cold May in history. I mean, I was looking just last uh, uh, couple of days ago, uh, a year ago, Dominic Cummings sitting in a garden at Downing Street, lying to us, you know, about what he did when he went to Barnard <laughs> Castle, now expecting us to believe every single word he says, even though he's admitted to being a you know, congenital liar. But it was so sunny. He was sitting there basking in the sunshine. Yep. Um, finally, it's back. But what a week we've had. I mean, you know, how, how can you get a guy who was the closest advisor to the government, to Boris Johnson, his right-hand man effectively, basically calling the health secretary, the Secretary of State for Health, a liar, a compulsive liar, a man who should have been fired, and Boris Johnson not up to the job. And yet, nothing seems to have happened. It is quite extraordinary, isn't it? I think uh, the issue is that, that actually... Dominic Cummings has, in a sense, let himself down mm. because you know his testimony was actually really compelling. You know the drama oh, yeah, of, of of you know the, what must have been a horrendous situation. You know, for example, the lady Helen when she came in and literally a, a series of expletives. Yeah. You know, saying how bad things were, yeah. and you can understand that the chaos, the unprecedented, the unknown. But it was the way that Cummings, uh, in a sense, gave his testimony mm. and the sort of the vitriol within mm. it. Uh, the way he conducted himself, I just think actually, um, in a way, blurred some really key messages yes. that he was putting out. And for me, there are two key things. Mm. Uh, if forget all the noise and all that. There are two key things out of it. The serious, serious allegation uh, that Matt Hancock lied. Well, mm. the truth is that he has a long track record through this crisis of lying. And Dominic Cummings uh, has, has confirmed it at the beginning. You know, I actually exposed it. Over Christmas, mm. you may recall uh, regarding the Nightingale Hospitals. Yes, when I, 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 I went to the the Excel Centre, the great, the biggest Nightingale Hospital that we'd spent you know hundreds of million pounds on, and I discovered that actually it was no longer there. It had gone well, zero. You, you were single handedly responsible for telling the world that actually it's been decommissioned. Correct. The government said it was still open. That's right. And and so I went in there. I took the photos mm. in the halls, and you know those photos went round the world. And Hancock had the cheek to stand in the House of Commons and say they had not been decommissioned, mm. and they were on standby. I'd been in there. I, right. actually, I actually went back to make sure that I hadn't deceived myself right. with my own photos. I mean, they're on standby like Sir Alex Ferguson's on standby to play uh, for <laughs> Manchester United. So, so, so he lied in the House of Commons yeah. about that. He lied, actually, that morning he lied on talk radio and a couple of other lesser media organisations. And, uh, and then his the lies were compounded by uh, Professor Powers, saying mm. that they were being ready for use. It was just complete nonsense. Right. And then he's lied again uh, this week, either yesterday or the day before, about the number of um, uh, the number of vaccinations going on, uh, or sorry, hospitalizations. I think uh, in Bolton this mm. week, he said it was about ten thousand mm. a day. Turns out it was between two and three thousand. Yeah. So I think the man is is a fantasist mm. who who actually for the first time has actually been put under real pressure. And in the press mm. conference yesterday, um, and, and I couldn't watch it, because if I watch Hancock on, on TV, I have to throw something yeah. at the telly. But um, from what I've read about it and the sort of the sketches and things, you know, he was clearly really feeling the pressure. Mm. He was sweating. He was evasive in his answers. 
And I think the reason is actually that that the truth is out. Yeah, and but also isn't it interesting that the the wrong message is coming through here because the media are not very good at asking the right questions, and even the opposition. I mean, Sir Keir Starmer on Wednesday in Prime Minister's questions was so useless. Right. I thought to myself, you know, I could literally have handed you five questions that you should have asked as opposed to the ones that you did ask. And the Labour Party then went on with this kind of, well, either Dominic Cummings is telling the truth or he's a fantasist. And it's like, no, that's not where you go with this. Where you go with this is you say to Boris Johnson, the prime minister, do you believe Matt Hancock has lied about this, about that, about the other? And tell us why you think he hasn't lied. Surely that's where you go, isn't it? Uh, Completely. I mean, you know, but but then Keir Starmer has, in a sense has let himself down consistently for many months now mm. after what was a relatively good start to his leadership mm. uh, but he just hasn't he just hasn't got that sharp edge uh, no. to, to to really grill the prime minister and force him into a corner and i think but hancock has now been forced into a corner and mm. and there are clear questions but the other key thing uh, amongst all the noise about Cummings that comes out of this, and this is the, for me, this is the second thing, is the public inquiry. Now, the Prime Minister has said it'll be sometime next year. Mm. You can bet your bottom dollar, based on this government, which is always late, it's never early on anything, um, that if he says, uh, you know, early to mid next year, yeah. at best it'll be late next right. year. And and I really worry about that. And quite, I think quite rightly, Dominic Cummings. Uh, said actually the public inquiry should be now. Mm. You know, it takes time to find a panel, to agree the terms of reference. We need to be getting yeah. on with this because we learnt lessons even during Cummings's uh, analysis uh, you know, in front of the, the Parliamentary Committee. And we need to learn these lessons really quickly yeah. rather than the idea of, of waiting a year to have a public inquiry, which will go on for year after year after year, um, I just think is not the right thing to do because you know we, we're going to have other challenges mm. coming down the pipe and we've and got also, to be ready for them. And also, if the government's position on everything is going to be, well, we did the best we could at the time, well, I'm sorry, that's not really good enough. You know, you're the government. You're not, you know, people making toys or people making hamburgers. You know, you are the government and you should have done better. I, I, th- I think, and, and I think actually, uh, you know, voters and people are, are, are remarkably forgiving a generously forgiving of a government that was under pressure, mm. you know, w- with with a pandemic that, frankly, uh, you know, no one really knew what what was what, what was going on. Uh, sadly, uh, you know, the, the truth is that there was no pandemic plan whatsoever. Uh, there really was mm. nothing, and and that was a, a real uh, wake up call. So I think people are quite uh, you know quite generous about saying, well, okay, they did their best, and so the government should 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 say we we did our best. Look. We got some things wrong. Mm. What we need to do now is admit those and learn from them really fast so that actually where we've got to make changes to the way the civil service operates, let's do it and let's do Mm. it now. And let's not, you know, try and sort of mealy mouth our way through an inquiry Mm. for two or three years that costs millions and millions and millions of pounds uh, and pretend that we did everything. And and, and also will produce very little in in, in terms of... What I can't stand is, is the continual expression that they trotted out through the whole of last year, you know, we made the right decisions based on the right science at the right time. Yeah. We all know that's just not the case. No. So, so well, I mean, show some we learned, honesty. What we learned uh, with Cummings was that actually Sage weren't even telling Boris Johnson to lock down. Yeah, it I mean, was Cummings that was telling him to lock down, and that was why we locked down. And, you know, one of the other things that you raised uh, single-handedly as well was the, the dodginess of the testing procedure, right? Yeah, that's and right. And everybody does, nobody talks about tests anymore. You know, my kids now don't even get given tests. You know, before, um, you know, three weeks ago, they were going, oh, you must test yourself twice a week to see whether you haven't got something that you haven't got. And I'm going, I just told them, don't bother. Just don't bother doing I mean, it. It's, it's a complete and utter waste of time. There's a testing centre down the road here. I don't know if you've seen it. 
right underneath the, the shard. There's literally nobody in it. Yeah. There's five people who work there I've, standing I've, around smoking. I've, I've seen this dotted around the countryside in mm. train stations and car parks. There are these huge testing centres, yeah. marquees and, and catering and yeah, loos. Yeah, and all there's 10 to 20 people in, in high-vis that's there and there's, they've got no customers, no customer. Right. What worries me is there's no one brave enough to say, we don't need this anymore. Mm. And, and why? Because of the vested interest. And I always say, follow the money. Yeah. And people are making so much money. Mm. The testing companies, the marquee companies, all of the people, the paraphernalia. Yeah. And it, the truth is, this is incredibly unproductive. We're now doing, on average, 900 to a, th- to a million tests a day, many of which are using the lateral flow tests that lots of people don't have confidence in. Right. So you sort of say, <clears throat> what's the point of all of mm. this? Actually, why don't we go back to a common sense approach, which is, look, if you feel ill, right. if you feel a bit rough... Go to the doctor. You're not feeling 100%. Well, then you might get yourself a test. Right. That's then, the first but then, case. But actually, you can't see the doctor because the doctor's all frightened. No, well, that's... COVID. A, that, that's I mean, a, we actually had a guy on here this week from the BMA who more or less said, look, it would actually be a lot better if we didn't have any patients. You know, we'd actually run the GP surgery a lot more efficiently if nobody ever came to see us. And we don't really want people coming here with sick. I'm going, sorry, you're a doctor. What's it, going on? It, it is absolutely outrageous what is going on. I'm hearing story after story... Uh, Alison Pearson has written about it in the Telegraph. Yeah. She actually almost single-handedly we got the government. Yeah. You had her on, that's yeah. right. Uh, started to change policy. So there's there's some real scandalous stuff going on. There's a by-election going on in the home counties at the moment. And uh, we actually phoned up, as part of research, the 13 GP practices mm. in that constituency. Let me tell you, two of them, despite multiple phone calls, never answered the phone. Really? In the other 11, you could not get a face-to-face appointment uh, what you could you could get within <clears throat> between a week and three weeks mm. in the future, you would get a a phone call appointment, but there was no um, no time for the phone mm. call except it would either be a morning or an afternoon. Right. So if you miss your if you miss so, your call, so you've got to take an entire day off in well, the hopes that you've, somebody you've got to be absolutely glued to your phone right. and make hope you've got a signal because otherwise you miss it and you're yeah. going to have to wake another couple of weeks. And and I just think you know that's just not the way no. uh, to respond to this and what what i said earlier follow the money mm. what i worry about is that uh, you know the vaccination program has been fantastic and we've got vaccinators and lots and lots of them but lots is it a coincidence that it's much harder to get a face to face gp appointment but actually where are the gps they're in the vaccination yeah. centers vaccinating people 12 and a half 12 yeah. pounds 58 a time yeah. um, so i've worked out a GP that's been vaccinating four days a week, 60 jabs a day, mm-hmm. now is 55 grand up Blimey. compared to the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. 55 grand up. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <clears throat> Trust me, I'm a doctor. That's fine. Look, we've had... The thing is, you don't need to be a GP to jab people. The person mm. who jabbed me was a stage manager in a theatre who was, was laid off. So, you know, she you, retrained as a jabber. sure that was the actual vaccine you were getting? <laughs> It's yeah, funny, no, I, I did feel funny. fine. Yeah, yeah, I was fine afterwards. <laughs> really, you know, after I woke up. So, um, you know, th- there are some uh, there are some serious questions uh, about yeah. this, and I think that I mean, yes, you know, obviously, we're still in the middle of this vaccination program, and it's going great. But you don't need GPs mm. to do it, no. and actually, the GPs should be you know back in the surgeries, face to face with as many people, patients yeah. as possible. I, I get the idea of a quick 
phone call triage. Yes. You know, is it, a, uh, is it for example, you need a, um, a renewed prescription? Yeah. No, listen, uh, that's or, fine. Or so I'm not, that's I'm not fine. against that. All I'm saying is, is that if, but if you want to see a doctor, you should be able to. We pay for that. It's not as if, you know, it's all free because of the NHS. No. Correct. Taxpayers have funded this thing for many, many decades. And if you need to see a doctor, you have the right to see one. Absolutely. And, you know... Phones have got to be answered. I mean, some people I'm hearing, they're on the phone literally. They, they get on the phone at 7.59 for the lines to open at 8. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden they're told they're, you know, number 29 in the queue. Right. And 25 minutes later you mm. get through to be told you'll get a phone call uh, appointment at three weeks down the track. And right. by which time you've either had to go to an A&E or you've died. I mm. mean, it's, you know, it's Exactly. It's, well, it's, well, I used it's to say that anyway. I mean, even before all of this happened, they would basically say to you, well, you know, you're probably fine. Um... Go home, and if, you, if you're still sick in four days, come back. And you're like, well, I know what's wrong with me. I know that I've got tonsillitis. I know that I need penicillin. Would you mind just giving it yeah. to me? And it's almost like, well, if you haven't died, as you say, come back next week, and we'll give you what we should have given you today. It's madness. It, it, it really, we, we can do so much better. Mm. You know, we know we can, but we've got to be more ambitious. And, and I actually think we've got to have a serious discussion. we've got to be more discussion. demanding. We've got to be we've more to... like the Americans and go, look, yeah. You work for me, do your bleeding job, or else there's going to be a problem. Well, is it a coincidence? In countries like France, I understand, where you know, face-to-face appointments have continued throughout, mm. is it a coincidence that that's because how are the doctors paid? Mm. They're paid on the number of face-to-face yes, appointments. that's right. You know, it, it, it's not rocket science. No. It's human nature. Mm. If you pay by results, you might get some results. Exactly. It's like paying somebody a tip for not serving you dinner. You know, you're not going to, are you? But if they actually bring you dinner, yes, they might actually, uh, you know, receive a tip. Now, listen, we we haven't got a great deal more time, Richard. So tell us what you've been up to, uh, because I know that you're um, uh, you're getting ready for the big off uh, on June the 21st. I was just saying to Julia Hartley Brewer there, I don't really care whether the government's (laughs) lifting the restrictions. Mine are lifting. Oh, for sure. No, I'm the same. And uh, as part of that lifting, actually, I am now. uh, It's been a good week because I'm now the proud owner of a new open-top double-decker bus. Decked out in a Union Jack I hope it's diesel. for the party. I hope it's not one of those hydrogen buses. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> but the good news is it passed its MOT yesterday. Excellent. It's having its first outing tomorrow. Right. And then what we're going to do after this by-election is we're going to re-kit it out. Right. So downstairs... Um, there'll be a meeting room, and of course, there will be a very large fridge. Excellent. Um, so that that will help attract people. Superb. So that's the first thing. Right. Um, the other latest plans that we're working on. Uh, also, I, mean, I should say, by the way, that last YouGov poll that came out, or Britain Elects, or whatever it was, had reform going up 2%. Yep. And again, are taking it from Labour, who are now 18 points behind the Tories, partly because you've nicked 2% off them. Well, you know, the, uh, I mean, that's good news, and, and we're, we're a new brand, and so it's going to take time. But we very much feel that we are essentially with a party with pragmatic common sense solutions. I know common sense is a great theme of yours, of course. So, and, and the other element of common sense I thought would be good, and that's why it's been a good week, is you know, I'm very jealous of your, your, your Thursday wine tasting. Yes. But I felt that there was a, a lack of, of sort of beer. So mm. we've actually been in touch with a brewery in Suffolk. Right. And we are in negotiations as we speak that I can exclusively reveal Excellent. here on Talk Radio that a reform bitter... Excellent. Is in the pipeline, and that's <laughs> the, the Ramonas will hate that. Won't they? <laughs> of course, it's bitter. Of course, they're bitter. <laughs> actually, no. Actually, it's you that's bitter because you lost. It, uh, and and, and it will end. be it will be a delicious British beer mm. canned here in Britain, and and that's something to look forward to. So as soon as as soon as we finish negotiations and we've got our first 
cans off the pipeline, yeah. I'll be able to bring it in well, so listen, you can have a taste. I'm hoping you're going to come and park your bus sort of downstairs, downstairs outside the old uh, London Bridge police uh, area uh, and just tell them to you're going to sit, sit there and <laughs> dispense free beer. Because the great thing about giving beer away for nothing is they can't. There's no licensing laws on it. Excellent. It's only if you sell it. Excellent. Because I learned this during, and I can't say why I learned this during the course of the lockdown, but when pubs were closed, the only thing they were prevented from doing was selling beer. If they gave it to you for nothing, they weren't breaking any rules. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm learning all the time. So there you go. And then if I have a, a megaphone or a big speaker system, yeah. then maybe I could compete and we could, you know. Yes, that would be brilliant. We, and what news on the uh, on the pub front with Mr. Fox? So we're still hunting. Still looking. Uh, yeah, no, we're still looking. Right. Uh, actually, it's interesting. You know, in a way, I'm delighted that so many places have opened up. Mm. That's good news. The question is, though, is is really how much demand there is. You know, I've been out a few times, and a number of people have said to me they were slightly disappointed that restaurants and pubs weren't busier. Right. So let's see. You know, how many places stay open uh, through the course yes. of the summer? But we're on the we're on the hunt. We've got a couple of key targets. And it'd be fantastic. The Fox and Ties pub with yes. the Reform Bitter. Brilliant. You know, it's, it's the, Listen, the, the and also the Momentum you know, Biz building. The weekend and, and, and the summer starts here. And I think from this point on, Richard, uh, we're going to have a party for quite a few uh, weeks in a row. Fantastic. Well, we're, we're planning parties from June the 21st Splendid. onwards. Splendid. Richard Tice, uh, Chairman of the Reform UK Party. Thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, uh, I'm going to talk about something today that we haven't really touched upon as of now uh, on Talk Radio very much, but I think it's time now that we do, because an awful lot of you have asked why we haven't done it and why we haven't talked about it. And it's got nothing to do with any kind of great secrecy. It's got nothing to do with any kind of great sort of, you know, orders from above or on high or, you know, anybody telling us what to do and what not to do, because that's not how we roll here at Talk Radio. But there was a terrible story that I spotted yesterday. It's all about a young woman by the name of Lisa Shaw, 44 years of age, BBC Radio Newcastle presenter who's died right suffering a blood clot after getting a covid astrazeneca jab uh, now uh, she apparently suffered from severe headaches she fell seriously ill she was entered uh, she was admitted to the royal victoria infirmary in newcastle on friday um, and she died as a result of blood clots that she got because of the vaccine and you know while we know that there are some people who take a very adverse reaction to the vaccine. There is no question that this is a very rare thing. But let's talk now to Dr. Lawrence Gerlis, GP at Same Day Doctor, to see what he's finding. Lawrence, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I, I usually like to come on a show and be absolutely clear and didactic about things. Yeah. Uh, but this pandemic has thrown up so many new moral and ethical dilemmas. And this, for me, is one of the hardest. Um, in this particular case, it's not absolutely proven or certain that the cause of her illness yeah. was yeah. blood clots, although we do know that this vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, is associated with a rare form of blood clotting. Having said that, it's a vaccine that saved many, many lives and should continue to be used. Mm. Um, we, we do know that younger women are probably more at risk this uh, this particular person was over 40, um, but we now know that I think the under 40s are being offered alternative vaccines because of the recognition of this type of risk. So hopefully um, a recurrence of this very rare and, and in this case fatal side effect mm. can be avoided, but it's desperately tragic, yeah. it's desperately upsetting, and as I said, it's a, a unique situation because vaccines should not 
make healthy people very unwell and it mm. should not cause them to die. No, of course. And that is the difficulty, isn't it, Lawrence? Because I'm like you. I mean, I like to be as clear as I can possibly be uh, to give information to people that they can use uh, to help people out with questions that they might have. But the difficulty with this is that, you know, there are those who think there's a terrible cover-up going on, which I yeah. don't think there is. Those who think that, you know, many more people are dying than, than they're being told about, which I also don't think is true. It's a very small number of people who are affected but I suppose the worrying thing for me and for many people, Lawrence, is that there doesn't appear to be any real, um, you know, connection between those people who are uh, getting blood clots and those people who are becoming ill and those people who are, who are actually dying. You mean we can't identify them? Listen, I've been through this personally. My own daughter is a similar age. Right. And we had weeks of discussion. She's also on the pill and needed blood thinners when she was pregnant. Mm. In the end, she decided to have the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. She got headaches for two weeks. Yeah. We actually had to run some blood tests to check her platelets and blood clotting. Fortunately, it was okay. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a terrible dilemma. It was a difficult decision to make. She made the decision to have the vaccine. And in a sense now, of course, I'm pleased she has. And I think it was the right decision. And I hope that thousands of people out there make a similar decision mm. based on assessment. But I, I think we do have to make a risk assessment based on age. And I would... I would say that women under the age of 50 or anyone under the age of 50 should be able to request and have an alternative vaccine mm. to the Oxford AstraZeneca. And, and hopefully, uh, I, I'm sure we have enough supply because we've got a third vaccine over Moderna. Mm. Hopefully that will prevent tragic events like this yes. happening again. Quite. No, listen, I mean, my own daughter, who's 31, had AstraZeneca and um, she was very sick the first time she yeah. had it. Uh, but she had had COVID and it seems to affect people who have had COVID worse than those who haven't. Um, and she, But she was very ill for about an, a 24-hour period. She said it felt like yeah. having COVID again. Second time she got it, I think she was fine. But do you worry that some people, because I've seen this again on social media, are now saying, well, you know, if it's dangerous, maybe I won't have the second one? Well, what, what we do know is that the, the bad reactions are with the first vaccine. And I've been reassuring our patients of that. And that has been borne out by experience. So I, I think from that point of view, um, it's the decision is whether to have the first one. I think if you've had manageable side effects of the first vaccine, you will be okay with the second one. Uh, but it's, it's an unusual situation. The only parallel I can think of a vaccine that could actually be fatal is the yellow fever vaccine. And famously, um, a couple of years ago, a 69-year-old professor died after receiving a yellow fever vaccine mm. of course it's given in much smaller numbers and we know that the risk in the older patient is much higher in fact i often persuade my older patients not to travel to areas where they need a yellow fever vaccine mm. and vaccines are, are are meant to prevent illness sorry I'll just turn my phone off um they're, they're they're not meant to have very very severe side effects mm. and, and i'm i you know i i I hope we don't hit here and see more cases like this because it will start to undermine confidence in, in the vaccine uh, rollout. No, sure. And let's talk a little bit finally, Dr. Lawrence, about the, uh, the, sort of the, the situation out there on the high street, as it were. Uh, you were always able to tell us that. Yeah. What's the story yeah. with, uh, as far as you're concerned, the Indian variant? It doesn't seem to be uh, causing any more massive problems really than anything else. Although no. we are now being told today, I think, that the uh, infection rate is going up. I don't think it's anything yeah. to be scared about, is it? I, I, our, our rates are very difficult to interpret. We are not seeing any COVID at all, zero, right. in London. Right. I can't remember the last time. I've got one patient who about six weeks ago uh, caught it from her son who thinks he caught it at school. 
Um, that's it. And we're doing a lot of COVID tests right now. We're not seeing it at all. It's, it's pretty much gone. There are hotspots, but the numbers are still relatively low. And I, I'm, I'm very clear that we should relax all restrictions on 21st of June and get back to normal life. As far as travel is concerned, so it's a bit distressing. I was supposed to be going to France next month. Um, haven't had a holiday for 18 months. Yeah, they, I think they'd rather you didn't go there, Lawrence, the way that, the, way that the, the, the messaging yeah. they're giving out. Yeah, even President Macron's made it pretty clear he doesn't want me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, even if I did, I'd have to quarantine for seven days. So that's that's the end of that holiday. Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, so I, when we talk about getting back to normal life, I think I'd like to look at the international travel situation because it's still a bit ridiculous for people to have these five tests uh, especially someone like me who's had two vaccines, I've right. got antibodies, I've had COVID. Um, why on earth should I have to have five tests so even if I'm allowed to travel? Um, I know. But this is the thing that's crazy, isn't it? You can go to Spain where they don't want you to have a test, where they don't care whether you've got it or not, really. Yeah. Uh, but you only have to worry about what you do when you come back here. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it is crazy. And the government, DHSE, has, has over-interpreted the regulations. They, it's not people are talking in the press about what's going to happen June 21st, social distancing. No one's really talking about relaxing travel. Obviously, there are high-risk countries still. We know about South America, Argentina, Brazil, and India, of course. But come on, you know, if if someone's had vaccinations, I, you know, I've got, I've got the so-called vaccine passport now on my phone on the the, the Department of Health, mm. the NHS app. Come on, I should be allowed to travel, shouldn't I? You should without testing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll vouch for you, Lawrence. I mean, if it, if, you, if you need a you know character reference, I'll be more than happy to put one up for you. <laughs> I'm going to be working Monday as well and tomorrow. Yeah, so I know, I know, absolute nightmare. <laughs> good man, nice to talk to you. Have a good weekend, Dr. Lawrence Girl is there tell, talking to us about uh, the terrible story uh, of a woman who died after having had the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. There's clearly an issue for some people, but it's a very small issue for most people, uh, and it only really affects a very small number of people. That doesn't, of course, help. It's a bit like COVID in a way. People say, oh, it's terrible, you know, and they say every death uh, is a tragedy. Well, of course, it is. However, mostly people who are getting the AstraZeneca vaccine are absolutely fine. They are not dying. They are not becoming particularly unwell, uh, and it is not doing them any harm whatsoever. The fact that it's harming a very small number of people who are getting it uh, is not good. But already, uh, the scientists are working on it. In fact, the Germans, uh, we believe in one of the labs over there, are hoping to try and isolate exactly the kind of people who are likely to suffer from blood clots if they get the AstraZeneca. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very, very good morning to Mr. Uh, Doctor, I should say, Rakeeb Hassan. Rakeeb, how you doing, man? 
I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Very well. Another big week, I suppose, for uh, the race industry. You know, we've got Diane mm. Abbott blaming, um, you know, racial justice for why Sasha Johnson got shot in the head at a party in Peckham, as opposed to actually the fact that, uh, as it turns out, several uh, members of a gang uh, seemingly mm. decided to drive by and shoot some people, and she happened to get caught in the crossfire. Uh, we've also had an awful lot of kind of... Um, what I would only describe as fancy footwork by some people who are frightened of actually saying why the Indian variant is sort of taking hold in certain parts of the country where lots of people from the Indian community live. Well, I think firstly, in terms of Diane Abbott's tweet uh, following Sasha Johnson's shooting, I thought it was absolutely remarkable that a shadow former Home Secretary would behave in such a way, Mike. Yeah. She essentially... Well, she essentially suggested that the shooting was in response to Sasha Johnson's BLM-related political activity, uh, saying that people should not suffer violence uh, just because they fight for racial justice. Firstly, I I really have to make this point that Sasha Johnson herself, she's made some very questionable statements in the past on matters of race. And there are suggestions that she has in the past racially insulted British black uh, police officers. Yeah as well so i mean as much as obviously everybody hopes mm, that she recovers and everybody hopes that she that that she doesn't uh, suffer too badly as a result of the shooting you know she's said some pretty ghastly things and she's been responsible for some pretty horrible um uh kind of shall we say um events over the course of time no absolutely and i think that i've seen bbc coverage framing her as this kind of inclusive anti-racism racial equality activist yeah that that's not quite true, and I know that's quite difficult to say after what's happened. Yeah, but it, but it shouldn't be, uh, Rakeem, because no. you know, let's face it, we're, we're not showing any disrespect. We're simply mm. using words which are uh, telling this the the truth of of what the matter is. No, absolutely, and and she's previously towards other Black British people. She has used racially charged language mm. towards them, right. and that that's not quite my understanding of inclusive anti-racist activity. No, quite. Uh, but this my, is the my, world we live my, in my now, Rakeem, isn't it? This is the world we mm. live in, where, for example, if you criticise anybody who happens to be uh, uh, differently coloured, uh, I don't mm. even know what the word is now. It's you know, um, people of colour apparently is not anything we should say anymore. Uh, mm. Even though some people of colour actually use that phrase, you know, it's very difficult. But, you know, you're immediately accused of being racist. You're immediately be accused of, you know, I mean, we did a thing at the weekend um, or the, earlier this week with uh, with Plank of the Week, which is something we do every single week since the beginning of the year. And we have nominated something like 200 people to be Plank of the Week. Femi <laughs> gets made one of the nominations and uh, throws his toys out of the pram, reports us to Ofcom, complains that we're victimising him because of the colour of his skin. And you're kind of going, mate, you know, Alistair Campbell even took it on the chin. What's wrong with you? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And this is a, this is an unfortunate uh, characteristic of the of the modern British left, where people use their racial background to deflect perfectly legitimate criticism of their behaviour and, and their political views as well. And that has absolutely no place in a mature multiracial democracy. Mm. I'd make the point that Diane Abbott, after she was challenged uh, on the tweet, mm. she she doubled down right. essentially, of course she saying did. that. Oh, you know, behaving this way towards uh, people of colour is, is almost a form of victimisation. Mm. The reality of the matter is, irrespective of one's racial background and ethnic origin, 
they should be challenged if they behave in a deeply irresponsible manner. Diane Abbott framing the shooting of Sasha Johnson as a, almost a, a violent response to her political activity, yeah. when in reality it seems like it was a gang rival related, uh, a gang rivalry right. related clash, is hugely irresponsible behaviour. It's deeply divisive. Of course it is. But you know, interestingly, I was at home on Sunday night, I think it was, when the story first broke. And I was watching mm. Sky TV. I mentioned this earlier in the week. And even they did it because they said, you know, that Sasha Johnson's in hospital currently you know, fighting for her life, uh, having been shot in the head. And then they said uh, she has, of course, received death threats recently, making out that there was some kind of mm. connection to what she was and what she represented and how somebody who had maybe made a threat of, on her life had shot her. I, th I think it's a very serious problem where you have serious incidents like that taking place. Maybe we should just show a bit of patience mm. and get to know the facts behind the event a bit. Well, more. call me old-fashioned, Rakeem. That's what we used to do in journalism. They don't seem to do no. it anymore. And it's, I almost felt like people were disappointed when they found out the real circumstances yeah. surrounding the shooting, that it didn't seem like it was associated with Sasha Johnson's BLM-related yeah. political... And also, where's the, outrage, by the, where's the outrage, by the way, that anybody of any mm. colour is wandering about in South London with a gun shooting people? You know, but nobody seems to be outraged about that. They're more outraged about the fact that, you know, uh, we're, we're being racist about something else. I think it's really, and I think that the mayor of London in particular, who, who, who's a master of virtue signalling, uh, embracing this superficial politics of diversity, when in reality we have a very serious problem when it comes to violence, especially within black British communities living in London. Mm. And we need to be really honest about that. Instead of you know, S S Sadiq Khan uh, constructing this commission on statutes, yeah. whether they should be there or not, mm. we should really be having a commission and a, a very thorough investigation into what's driving this this gang-related violence within Black British communities in the capital. Yeah. I think that. And where are they getting the guns from? Because this is, you know, this is not the United States of America where you can literally buy a gun legally in a shop. Uh, which actually is the same shop mm. that you can buy fishing material in. I mean, up until relatively recently, when I used to go and see my sister in America, uh, there was a Walmart in her local uh, town, which is a very nice town, very middle class, very kind of, you know, law abiding. But you used to be able to go and buy guns in Walmart and bullets. Now you can't buy guns anymore because after the shooting in Columbine School um, and the Michael Moore documentary, they actually promised not to sell guns anymore. But guess what? You can still buy the bullets. Right? I've made the point... In London, London, it, there's a there's a variety of crimes that have risen faster in London than other parts of the country, and the, and the mayor of London has to take responsibility for that because ultimately, as mayor of London, he is technically London's police and crime commissioner yeah. as well. Many people actually uh, forget that. Mm. So I'd really like to see the mayor of London. Unfortunately, I don't think this will happen. He doesn't talk robustly enough when it comes to tackling forms of crime in the capital instead what he does do he indulges in these virtue signaling initiatives which really in reality doesn't really help any community in london feel safer does it no it really doesn't and let's talk a little bit about the wokists because obviously the other big story this week was the uh, resignation of the head um, um uh, of the uh, of the organization which of course was named as the place mm. that they wanted to look back into the history um of all of the various different houses that they represented. They wanted to make sure that the, the, the links to slavery in the National Trust were somehow done away with, or at least explained. And it looks as though he suffered from uh, being ousted by people who obviously thought that wasn't a good idea. 
I think that there's just such a there's this obsession with decolonizing the curriculum, decolonizing heritage activities. I think in in, re, in reality, Mike, I feel much of this is just it's just it's almost an easy form of anti-racism. Mm. You could say that these that these kind of actions are they going to really help us create a more cohesive society? Is it going to help to heighten well-being in British uh, black communities? I, I suspect not. And I, and I do feel that this kind of um, almost these pro-diversity initiatives, I, I think they're backfiring. I actually think they're counterproductive. And what they do, they alienate people from what are in it. They alienate people from what I'd consider to be legitimate progressive causes. Because it almost feels like it's going too far in a, in a separate, uh, in, a, in a different direction. And I feel that almost in a sense, far from being inclusive and cohesive, much of the behaviour from what you would what we would describe as the woke left, you know, obsessed with racial identity politics, it's actually deeply segregationist, Mike. Yes. When you actually look at it deeply, and 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 I think that I, I feel that that is definitely something that we don't need when it comes to trying when it comes to trying to create stronger race relations in the UK. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And let's talk a little bit about the story on the front page of the Times today. Uh, mm. I know that we weren't planning on doing this, but but it's an interesting one. It's a Times investigation saying basically children known to be at risk of abuse, some as young as 11, have gone missing more than 55,000 times in Britain mm. over the past three years. Now, we're not suggesting that all of those girls are likely to have been groomed by grooming gangs in the north of England, but an awful lot of them are. And still, the police seem to be un- unable or incapable or unwilling to stop it from happening. I think that it, it, the, the figures in that Times investigation are an absolute disgrace, Mike. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no getting away from that. And we've talked about this before, that all too often police forces, they prioritise racial sensitivities over, over the facilitation of justice. And I think that's I think that when we're looking at these cases of what what was large scale uh, child sexual abuse, which is, is systematic abuse, uh, the police forces all too often they tr- they treat the victims as if they're lost causes, and that's simply not on. I think there's one particular case that I'd like to raise, which is uh, the, the closing down of Operation Augusta yeah. up up in up in Manchester, where it, it, there was an investigation into what it, it was potentially in the region of 60 victims, I think 57, if, if, if I remember correctly, and 97 potential suspects, mm. which were pro, uh, predominantly of Pakistani origin. What you had there, Greater Manchester Police, with the support of uh, Manchester City Council, closed down the investigation before that they had deprived uh they they had reduced resources for the investigation as well mm. and and one of the main reasons for that apparently was because police officers already dealt with cases involving the kurdish origin population they didn't want to feel like they were targeting another ethnic minority group which i find absolutely yeah. remarkable there's no space for political correctness and multicultural ideology and the politics diversity, none of that should ever be prioritised over public safety, especially when it comes to protecting vulnerable girls. No, of course not. It beggars belief that they would even consider that as an option, doesn't it? I mean, similarly, we were talking uh, this early part of the week with Dan Hodges. He wrote an Mm. interesting piece of the weekend, last weekend in the Mail on Sunday, about how political correctness is actually physically killing people because nobody wants to say that the reason why uh, all of these Indian variants have been found in Burnley and in Bolton and in Blackburn and in Hounslow is because of all the people who went to India repeatedly, came back from India um, and spread the COVID variant. 
But nobody's willing to say that because somehow uh, it would demonise a population uh, of colour. I've seen I've seen Labour MPs trivialising the issue. Yeah, Mike, which I think is absolutely remarkable. And that that is a classic case of political correctness being really damaging when it comes to public safety and social well-being. Yeah, I mean, just tell you know, society. tell the truth, address the problem, talk about it, and 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 lay the blame if you wish to on certain communities. What's wrong with that? Absolutely. When we're looking at local areas, we have to see where there's high levels of, um, well, rather there's low levels of vaccine uptake. Mm. Find out why that's the case and and try to come up with logistical, practical solutions to increase vaccine uptake in those groups. Right. There's no point brushing under carpet. And if if there are a higher if there are high, um, lower levels of vaccine uptake within particular ethnic minority groups, just because they are ethnic minority groups doesn't mean that should be ignored. We need to engage with it. Right. And the reality of the matter is, if we don't get on top of the situation, then th- there is the possibility that lockdown restrictions might be extended. In well, this days. is it. I mean, I'm looking at the front very page damaging of, for of... businesses in the hospitality sector. Yeah, in those and and it's locations. and it's ridiculously misguided if that does happen because there isn't a problem in most parts of the country. There isn't a problem in hospitality. I mean, the front page of the I newspaper today, variant fears threaten end of lockdown on 21st of June. They say uh, government set to cancel free parking. Health uh, secretary says Indian strain now dominant represents 75% of cases. Well, maybe it does, but 75% of cases doesn't mean there's a lot of cases. What it does mean is that all those cases are in areas where Indian uh, people from the, the subcontinent are living. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, I think I'd make the point that uh, levels of vaccine uptake differ between uh, different uh, Asian ethnic minority groups. Mm. Actually, the level of level of vaccine uptake uh, compared to other ethnic minority groups is quite fairly good among yeah. British Indians. Mm. It's a bit more of an issue when it comes to people of uh, Pakistani origin. Yeah, because it's a Muslim thing, isn't it? Well, I think that it, it, it's not quite so much. I think what we have, and this is something that we really need to discuss and something that I actually wrote about it for The Telegraph before, that social integration plays an important part here, Mike. And not just that, there are conspiracy mm. theories being peddled within certain ethnic minorities. Yes. I even came across one conspiracy theory which suggested that pork was in the COVID-19 yes. vaccine. Yes, which well, I mean, we've heard remarkable. because there have been other vaccines in the past which have had you know, foodstuffs in them. Um, uh, and, and certainly there are mosques and there are imams who are telling Muslim communities you can't have the vaccine because it's not halal. Well, I, th- I think that what we need to do there, w- w- there needs to be a very serious discussion, to be honest, but mm. not too much discussion because there needs to be very quick action on this. But there has to be, we need to have uh, localised infrastructures in place to debunk those conspiracy theories and we need local. There's no point brushing it under the carpet. That's not going to help anyone in, in those no. areas. No, and, and you know, hiding the truth is never a good way to go. I don't understand no. why people need to be told that. Why would you have to explain it to people that you know? Just tell us the truth. Nobody's going to be demonised. Nobody's going to start turning up uh, in in Bolton uh, looking to victimise members of a of an ethnic minority because they think they're carrying COVID into the country. That's not how people are. You know, the, they, the only but, reason. But my, this is what I've been. When I say that racial identity politics is dangerous, I'm not being inflammatory. I'm not being over the top no. because you have outcomes like this, where there's problems which are more prevalent within particular ethnic and uh, racial minority groups. Mm. That you have politicians, in terms of engaging with the problem, coming up with serious solutions to reduce the problem, they'd rather brush it under the carpet because they feel that it's an inconvenience.
And I, th I think that's that is a, a, a deeply problematic way to approach a serious public health issue. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Rakiba San, thank you very much indeed. Independent expert in British public attitudes. Always worth talking to. Always worth listening to. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, because you know we love the sound of his voice, let's have a listen to what Harry has got to say today. Kids growing up in today's world... It's pretty depressing, right? Depending on where you live, your home is either, your home country is either on fire, it's either uh, underwater, your houses or forests are being flattened. Like, climate change is really playing a huge part of this, as well as social media. Are we just doing, I mean, I know lots of people out there are doing the best they can to try and fix these. What's he talking about? Our country's not underwater, and neither is it on fire, and neither uh, are the forests being deforested. California, of course, is on fire every single year. That's where he lives. Maybe you should do something about that. Let's talk to Angela Levin. Hello, Angela. Hello. How, how, are, how are things in Kensington? You're not underwater, are you? No, I don't or on fire? Kensington. I don't live in Kensington either. Oh, so, sorry. Um, I don't know why I thought that. I just assumed that you lived in Kensington. I thought you were sort of queen of Kensington. No, I, I get on fire with ludicrous, um, hypocritical <laughs> statements, that's yes, for sure. That's absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I'm sorry to keep banging on about this, and people will no doubt be sitting at home thinking, why does he keep talking about Harry? Well, I keep talking about him because he's, he won't shut up. Mm. Let me say, to try and be fair, mm. that I watched the 90 minutes of this extra um, sort of documentary. Yes. It was five and this was six. And I thought, oh, my goodness, no. But there was a lot of good in it. They had experts from all around the world giving their advice on how to cope and what to do. Mm. And saw snaps of the people Harry had talked to. And I think things like, you know, tell people they're not alone, that you're always there for them. Um, I think that, that counts and it was important. Unfortunately, Harry... Um, sort of said the most stupid things, one of which, which is that the trouble is um, climate change mm. being on fire, which is absolute nonsense. I, I don't think that that's what's making people depressed unless you're Gutta Steinberg. Um, and I think that the, the other thing he said was, which is also ludicrous, is that parents don't know now how to bring up their children in these difficult times. Mm. Well, I don't think many parents know exactly how to bring up their children ever. And I think if you think about World War Two and all the things that happen mm. every generation, um, you, you've just got to do the best you can. But you can't just say parents don't know. No. They're all, you don't know what the, the personality is of your child. Some of them are very sensitive. Some of them are not. You know, it well, was most children don't have the benefit of having a sort of 24 hour round the clock nanny services do they i mean most parents have to actually look after their own children uh, which of course harry doesn't have to do yes but what he did emphasize was that the importance of family and relationships and it takes my breath away because why isn't he doing something to help some, to bridge the gap between him and the rest of the royal family mm. rather than actually attacking them once again he got in his snide comments one about the royal family he described when megan went backstage at the institution he meant indoors at the royal family which i think for a, a, a program about mental health yeah. is actually 
a very wrong statement to make. Mm. It's climate change, which he's obsessed with. Um, and um, the, the media, which he also blamed for a lot of depression. Well, social media, uh, people who write comments at the end or, mm. or send tweets can be vile, but you have to cut yourself off from it. It's not something that um, we can handle. You just have to shut it. So I think he let himself down, mm. really. He was very confident. He now thinks he knows about this, as he knows about parenting, where he's had a child for two years. So it was... Um, well, that would be typical of Harry, wouldn't it? Because he thinks that uh, he's the only person that has ever been badly treated. He thinks that he's the only person that's ever had doubts about himself or worries about his parents or, you know, has lost a parent. You know, and the truth of the matter is, Angela, that he's not the only person that has had difficulties in his life. He's not the only person that has had tragedy in his life. But he is very, very privileged nonetheless. And whether he likes it or not, yeah, I'm afraid that does make a difference. Quite right. There was also this, um, I found today, the engagement interview, which I was looking, watching. Oh. And Megan says how wonderful the royal family is, how amazing Kate has been. How Harry says everyone's pulled together. They've been absolutely wonderful mm. in their welcome. So what has changed? I think they've changed. I don't think the royal family have changed. No, not at all. Um, well, somebody sent me last, I think it was last week or early part of this week, a video which was recorded, um, I think, when both of the, the, the princes were sort of teenagers, effectively, with their father. And it's a kind of, it's, it's in a house, so they're, they're larking about, they're laughing, they're joking, they're having what appears to be a great deal of fun together. Uh, in the same way that many royal correspondents have told me they had when they used to go skiing, you know, they would be joshing each other, they'd be telling jokes, cracking, you know, uh, cracking smiles and all of that. You know, there was nothing in his upbringing that we saw that would suggest that he was doing anything other than what most kids do. Yeah, I think they. I think it was a difficult upbringing. Reading, if you come from a, a very dysfunctional home and and both parents aren't there very much, mm. I think you are alone and you can only help each other and that's quite hard when you're small. I think it, it has had an, a long-term impact on both of them. Williams tried to fight it by being positive and Harry is now suddenly the world's number one victim. Yes. Um, but I, I, I think there is every sympathy when you feel that your parents really can't stand each other to be in the mm. same room. And I think children think it could be about them. And I think that's terrible. Yes, but, but again, I mean, I'm sorry, Angela. There are plenty of parents who have that issue and plenty of kids that have that issue with their parents. But they don't go bleating on about it to Netflix or to Spotify every five minutes, you know? No, you're quite right. I'm thinking of just the situation, but he's just going on and on because I don't think he's got that much more that he can offer. So he has to stick with this. And once he's spurting all this... Um, ghastly stuff out um, he wants to do it more and more and more and more I mean I thought it was very strange when he was um, delighted that he had something in common with Zach which mm. is Robin Williams child who had severe depression and all sorts of mental illnesses mm. and they both agreed how awful it was to have people who knew their celebrity parent and they were trying to grieve too. Harry told me he was so angry with this. I mean, he said this years ago to me that um, he was determined not only not to cry um, following the the uh, her coffin, but also that he wouldn't cry for years. Mm. And he kept this bottled up in him. Well, I felt sympathy for that. But this was quite a pompous show. Mm. Um, 
opera let him get his way. He asked some good questions. It was worth listening to, but you don't want to hear any more about him complaining because it's going nowhere. It's a dead end. Everybody's fed up with it. And also, when's it going to end, Angela? I mean, is this going to go on forever? Is he just going to keep giving interviews about how terrible his life has been? Yes, I think he will because I think oh, he depressing. he feels he's kept it under his um, under his skin mm. for too long, and I think more and more people are going to get bored stiff with it. And um, I think even Meghan might get bored stiff with it. And um, well, I've noticed actually that she's now taking a bit of a back seat, isn't she? I mean, he seems to be the guy front and centre now, doing most of the talking, whereas she, uh, who was talking mostly in the first Oprah interview seems to have not, not want to do it so much. Well, um, this was done in 2019 when he began working with opera and it was his own special thing to do. And it was before he left the royal family, which was quite interesting yeah. because he was earning money for commercial purposes and that's not allowed if you're a royal. Mm. But Meghan uh, might be right at the end of her pregnancy and not be feeling very well. Mm. So I think that she's got that excuse actually, to, right. to leave to it. But he does say, you know, that it all happened with her, which is also a nonsense because he's been having therapy for a long time and people have tried to help him. I know the senior members of the royal family have been worried about Harry for a very long time. He is vulnerable mm. and he, he goes up and down. But actually now to just to spurt it out and put himself as somebody who's telling other people how to deal with it when he can't handle it really himself. I don't think that's very impressive. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And also last Sunday, I think it was, the Man on Sunday had that piece about the Queen being particularly upset, not just because of the way he's going on, but because he specifically said that uh, he was damaged by his own father who didn't seem to know how to bring up children because he himself wasn't brought up terribly well by his parents, i.e. the Queen and Prince Philip. Yeah, well, it is known that if you have a very dysfunctional family for one or two generations, the chances are that you will have it. I mean, it's like a bug, possibly, mm. that you can. But what he didn't take into account, she's 95. She's lost her husband mm. of 70 plus years. And where's the kindness? He keeps saying, he says something about, we've got to know how to look after each other and mm. be kind to each other. Absolutely right. But then you don't actually take it out on your grandmother, age 95, who actually does her best and adores Harry. You know, different generations behave in different ways. You mm. can't actually blame them for all the things. And the senior members of the royal family are jolly busy. They go off in engagements. They stay away. I think they do their best to make um, life happier. And then they've got all the privileges. So you balance it out, haven't you? You can meet anyone you like. Yeah. You can anywhere you like you can have anything you like those are great um, opportunities for you um meeting well it's like me i mean you know i've got a great job um and there are some downsides to it i have to wake up at seven o'clock every morning which i'd rather not do because i don't particularly like getting up in the morning uh but by the other hand uh token i've finished mostly by one o'clock in the afternoon you know there are some good things about life and some bad things about life you just get on with it yes Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. It's all a balance. And he says as well in it that um, we've all got to speak out. We mustn't keep it secret. Mm. We've got to tell our stories. We've got to tell people, well, I don't want anybody to know any pain I've got or every grievance I have. It's a nonsense. It's an invasive mm. on you as a person. But I think he's now gone from one side of the fence to way over yeah. on the other. 
But also, right. Angela, I mean, we've all, we've all got but friends. Out. But also, we've all got friends who have had difficulties and we've maybe stood by them or spoken to them or had evenings with them, holding their hands or hugging them or, you know, making sure they feel OK. You know, but right. what you don't want is every time you see that person for them to tell you how awful everything is. Because after a while, it gets a bit tedious. Yes, I think he's lived a very um, safe life mm. and he hasn't met so many people who will grumble and groan. Most people are very uh, polite and are not going to pour out all their feelings. And I think he's now, it sounds really like somebody who's about 16, 17, mm. with a very naive view of things. Yes. Whereas um, most people who've grown up in a, in a slightly tougher environment, whether it's money or relationships or anything like that, um, ha have to realise that life is full of very difficult things as well as very nice things. And it depends whether you want to, it's a very old fashioned sort of thing about the glass is half full or half empty. Yeah. You have to work out where you are on that. And William has, has, has said, you know, he wants what happened to his mother to make him not to break him. And, and Harry wants to scream to the world mm. And lucky he's been with his family. I mean, I think what? on balance, if I was uh, to choose between living in a one-bedroom flat in East London uh, or a 16-room mansion in Montecito, California, uh, I think I might opt for the Montecito, California option if I could, to be honest. Well, I think the 16 bathrooms are very tempting. <laughs> Absolutely right. So what's the latest on his trip back here to open up the uh, Diana Memorial? Is that still going ahead as far as we know? Well, as far as we know, it might be. I think it depends on when Meghan has the baby. I think it depends if there's any communication between the royal family and Harry. Mm. Um, they have decided that if they, if Harry does come back, he wants to make a separate speech from William, which you can read something into. But mm. I think that's all right. They both have different views and they both yeah, love I think their that's mother. fine, isn't it? But you know what that's I thought was interesting was when they made their statements about the BBC and Martin Bashir's interview, Prince Williams was very considered. It was very sort of solemn. Uh, it was very dignified and it was very seemingly um, heartfelt. Whereas um, Harry tried to make it into something else, it seemed to me. And when he talked about how, you know, she died being chased in a car with a man of colour, you know, and he was trying to make this point, which nobody had ever made before about Dodie Fire, that he was a man of colour. He was the son of an Egyptian multimillionaire. Uh, nobody ever regarded him as a man of colour, but now Harry has put him in that sort of box. Well, they like to make people racist if they, you know, any opportunity. Yeah. But I think uh, Williams was um, very uh, king-like, actually. I thought you could very. see him saying that. Mm. And he said he wanted a free press. He didn't knock the press, despite not liking most of us. But... Harry, I believe it wasn't written by Harry. I think it was written by a team yeah. because they seemed to know really what they were saying. Mm. And so they blamed social media and they blamed the tabloid press. Well, actually, that was really not what it was all about mm. at that time. It was about Martin Bashir and the BBC because she stopped having the protection officers that she wanted because she felt they were trying to spy on her. That yes. was the... And also all the people chasing her were not from the British tabloid press. They were all from the European magazine press uh, who were far more bloodthirsty than anybody in Fleet Street. It was very careless for them to go out on their own. Mm. But you can't blame somebody else for that. She wanted to do that. She didn't put a seatbelt on. Yeah. If she put a seatbelt on, she could well have been alive. Yeah. But she didn't. 
who are you going to blame for that? You know, um, these accidents, terrible accidents happen and they're tragic, mm. but you can't actually put all the blame on other people. There's a contributory factor usually in, in what you've done, unless you're jolly unlucky. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely right. And are we going to see more of these uh, interviews then? If, he sh- if he'd made all these like two years ago, is there a whole series of them? Yeah, he's just agreed to help to promote a sort of mental health campaign for Australia, uh, set up oh, by two former um, uh, army people who were badly damaged and vic- in, were in Invictus Games. Mm. And he's agreed to do that. Um, and that'll be interesting because perhaps he'll come out with something more about the wounded soldiers than about him. But mm. I, it still to be a pulling factor. The name pulls, just as Diana picture on the cover sold many more newspapers his name is still pulling but i think more and more people are going to yawn and turn over because you can only as you said before you can only sell yourself so many times with the same signature you know yeah. you need to change things you need to change the record and start to become a bit more interesting and it's less navel gazing i think and maybe he would be well, somebody that people would want to listen to if he said well, a bit more about more other interesting things Yes, more positive yeah. to be, um, and not just down in the dumps about we're all dying from right. social change. Yeah, and... everything's on fire and underwater. I mean, you know, <laughs> give over, for heaven's sake. Angela, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend. Angela Levin, royal biographer, uh, talking about Prince Harry, who's still banging on and on and on and on about how terrible everything all is for him. I mean, please, give it a break. <laughs> Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.50, it's Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. There's only uh, what can be described as a slight compliance oh, going on. My in the back. goodness. We're going to have to have a reshoot of all of this, you know. <laughs> this is not enough enthusiasm for Guys, uh, guys, for well, the maybe we all need like a, a fizzy drink before. Maybe the you need a, no, you need a re education class, I oh, think is what you need. Maybe, what, like, yeah, badge just like enthousi- enthusiasm, <laughs> you know. Anyway, welcome. Uh, <laughs> okay, what so. Now? so no, it's, it's oh dear, stop oh, it. Right, okay. <laughs> anyway, so welcome to the Perry Awards. Thank you very much. This is where we look back on the Independent mm. Republic of Mike Graham yes. and choose our favourite moments. Yes. So very good. The following tradition: the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Graham, Excellent. for the clarification of the week. Uh, and now it is, of course, Thursday club time because it is Thursday. So Helen and Nicklin uh, is going to be along a little bit later on. Because it says Thursday. Because it is Thursday. It's, it's Thursday. very true. Yeah. You all looked very mystified when I said that because you thought <laughs> I was about to introduce it and it wasn't time. Yes. Well, I, I was going to go you with... panicked. The, yes. We, we very much yeah. panicked because it was an hour early and... Uh, yeah, we, there was no Helena. No. Because obviously, you know, she wasn't due on. Exactly right. Um, anyway. anyway. Uh, so, yes, I didn't want to go for the confusion of the week, but it no. was a clarification. That's good. Week, that Thank one. you. I'm so, happy with that. 
Going to the breakfast show, uh, Julia Hartley Brewer spoke to Conservative MP Paul Bristow. Mm. This is the Perry Award for the Diva of the Week. Not one uh, meeting suggested herd, mu- herd immunity was an official strategy, despite the fact that he said that throughout. <laughs> Hold Sorry, on a minute. Do you, have to, do you have to tend a small child? No, no, no. Okay. That's all right. That's just all my right. daughter demanding more food. No, that's okay. <laughs> what, did she just throw she, sort of she crockery threw a plate, around? Yes. When she wants more food? Blimey. <laughs> well, she's 16. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice, isn't it? Very I think good. she's a bit younger than 16. Well, but... let's hope so. Yes. Otherwise, that sounds a bit like a tantrum. Well, well, that, that's also true. Yes. Um, so, uh, you got um, an award this week for the Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm. But when I've ever worked for a media company, um, I've never resigned. I've always been fired. Uh, I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yes. You, why would you resign? Well, Because you don't yeah. get paid if you resign. If you get fired, they have to pay you off. Ah, okay. Well, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll note that down just yeah. in case. There you go. Never resign. That's all the advice I always give to young journalists. Is What advice have you got? I said, well, never resign from a job. Right. Are we, are we listening one. in the uh, control Unless room? Unless you're going to a better one. <laughs> ah, fair enough then. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll note that down. Mm. Thank you. Uh, so, and we all love a wrong namer of the week, we of do. course. He's let Carrie Simons run his life. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Car- sorry, that was a bit shorter than I Carrie said. Simons. Ca- Carrie Simmons, isn't it? No, it's Carrie Simons. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, I sometimes. I sometimes call her Carrie Simmons, oh. but actually it's Carrie Simons. Oh, well, there you go. So then. I actually said it right that time. No, uh, you could have done it any number of times when I say Carrie Simmons because that was me getting it wrong. Oh, well, there you go then. Yeah. I get the Perrier So award. you get your own Perrier. <laughs> you've, you've, uh, you've reverse ferreted yourself, <laughs> I'm Fair afraid. enough. Well, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well done to me then. Yeah. Uh, so over to the US mm. uh, where we spoke to our second favourite radio host. Obviously, our first is Ian Collins. Yes. Um, <laughs> He's not American. Uh, uh, no, that's, that's true. This is the Perrier Award for the analogy of the week. Meanwhile, China is sitting there like, a, frankly, a turd in a punch bowl, <laughs> just waiting to ruin our party. Yes, I've never thought of that phrase no, before. I've no. never heard it either. No, that's but, a Californian thing. Yeah, and when you think about the kind of like a thing floating around in a punch yeah. bowl, I mean, it would obviously be like a party clearer. It so. certainly would. Maybe if people outstay the welcome, maybe that's what you could do. I'm never going to look at a punch bowl the same way. Has to be said. No, that's true. No, I know. I'll, I'll always have that. There's in my a place mind. down in, I think it's in uh, Surrey, called the Devil's Punch Bowl. <laughs> I'm never going to go there again either. Oh, oh yeah, you never know. And and if it's like dark as well, like when you're going to Let's the. Let's not uh, carry it too far. <laughs> You've gone too far now. Okay. So over to YouTube, yes. which is a treat for the eyes and the ears. Mm. This is a visual perrier for the most awkward parking of the week. Huh. Sorry, you've not Sorry been you've that. not I'm been arrested, not... have you, John? No, <laughs> well, I'm I'm not supposed to be parked where I am. Is it the boys say, in blue? Be... Anyway, coming back. To I think you've given you you know what's happened. You've given away too much dosh, or or was it was it a couple of expensive divorces? It's <laughs> a bit too much information. Mm. That's John Caldwell, isn't it? It is. John Do you know Caldwell. he was in the Sunday Times Rich List at the weekend? Was he? I couldn't believe how much money he's worth. Oh wow! Like billions. Really? Yeah, he's been in the tent of shame and everything. Oh my he word! He never offered me any. Oh. <laughs> I'm obviously going to have to, uh, you know, sweet talk him a little bit. He's yeah. worth about one and a half billion. Wow. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm I mean, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't miss a million if he gave it to me. Oh, well. <laughs> next time he comes on, right? I'll have say a word. To him, say to him, next time he wants to come on, say a million quid, that'll be. <laughs> Give us a million, you can come on any time. 
Fair enough, fair enough. We'll even park your car for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I can't volunteer for that one, though, unfortunately. Well, I'm not going to make any sexist remarks about women parking. No. Uh, so that straight on to, the, to the another Perry Award. Uh, so you get another Perry Award, Mike, uh, for attempting to pull your own tooth out on air. Go get an x-ray, go get an x-ray. And he said, yeah, very loose. Very, very. <laughs> so I said, don't pull on it. It's going to come out. <laughs> it's true. It was that loose. Oh god! I, I probably could have pulled it out. Oh no! Don't! Yeah. Oh, don't do that! Oh, no. oh no! Okay, and finally, finally. Uh, saving the best till last, Go as on. per usual. Ian Collins, uh, this must be the Perry Award of the month. So, Ian Collins, this is the Collins Perry Award of the week. Go for it! Um, absolutely beautiful. Um, for, first thing, first point, Norwich Council, um, absolute disgrace. <laughs> Um, What's he doing? I'm not sure what we pay that Leslie to do, but I don't think she's got a clue about anything. Um, this is very there? visual, guys. It, yes, very yeah, yeah. visual. Sorry, I got tangled up in my headphones for a second. <laughs> right. so I can hear it? you. So, <laughs> for, for people not watching on YouTube, I think it was a call and then his headphone yes. wires and then the chair fell over. So it was definitely um, very Absolutely visual. Brilliant. I missed that. Oh, I know, so did I. And yeah. then um, one of our new uh, guys in the office who's fabulous called Rory, he was like, why have you missed this gem? Mm. I was like, Fantastic. get that on the Perrier. Brilliant. Anyway. Well done. Well, that's all for the Perrier Awards. There will be more next week. Thank you very much. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.